0: Let's all open in our Bibles to Mark 2. Mark 2, and we will be beginning with verse 18. So, the law of God... To us, it is extremely confusing. Oftentimes, as we try to live out the life of a Christian, as we try to understand God and his ways in his law, it doesn't make sense often. Um, we, have, we have so much to learn. But in this text this morning, we have something that simplifies everything. If you wrestle with how to know what to do, and if you wrestle with what God wants from you, and how to live it out, how to put away sin, there is such an important truth that changes everything in this text, and it will clarify it for us. So with that, let's read Mark two eighteen through 3, 6. Uh, Fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the wineskins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing that which is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him. How he entered into the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered into the synagogue, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched, out, he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm excited. I'm excited for your word to be divulged. I'm excited for you to change our hearts, for you to work in us. Please do so by the merits of Jesus Christ. Give us clarity in the text and shepherd us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The question is, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Jesus is in an odd situation here, isn't he? Where he needs to teach those around him that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's actually required of him because of the state of everyone else around him. It's required of him to teach them that it's good to do good on the Sabbath. It's good to save life. And that it's wrong to harm. And their response to this question is not total agreement with him. The response to their response to his question is dead silence. They can't answer him. And his response to their dumbfoundedness is grief and anger rightfully, at their state, in the state of their hearts. How could these Pharisees be so off? How could, they, how could those who claim to be so devoted to the law of God be so staggering, staggeringly confused about it? The answer, the answer is that they actually didn't understand the law, though they claimed to be the holders of the law. The Pharisees did not understand the law at all. There is much confusion about how Jesus and the Pharisees relate to the law. You've probably heard it taught that the Pharisees were the law guys. Those were the guys who focused on the law, and that Jesus, rather, that he wasn't focused on the law. You've probably heard it preached that way before. That the Pharisees were the ones who truly did understand the law, but that it was bad, that there was something wrong with the law. So Jesus came, and then he completely ignored it, or he bypassed the law. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The mirror image is actually true. The Pharisees were the ones who themselves bypassed the law. They were the ones, it's obvious that they did this because they added their own rules to the law. They were the ones who were adding their own rules and they conflated that with the law of God. They treated their own commandments with the same weight as the very law of God. They invented their own ways to keep themselves from sinning. And in doing so, they lifted their own words up to the place of God, who can alone admonish us in life and godliness. They were like children, who when they are playing with their stuffed animals or something like that, they play make-believe, and they pretend to be the parents and then they line up all their stuffed animals in front of them. And then they give them arbitrary commandments so that they can act as if they are the authorities in the situation. But in reality, the child has no authority, nor was he equipped to know what it is that is appropriate. What is good to do and what is not a child is not able to discern what is truly good and bad by themselves. They must be taught. Now think of how sad of a situation this is now, in the first century, that these Pharisees were doing exactly that, but not with stuffed animals, but with the very people that they were commanded by God to protect and to love and to admonish in the true law of God, but they conflated it, and they diluted it. They were called to give Israel God's word, and they gave them their own instead, and that was their error. Whereas Christ, on the other hand, understood the law. He and he only has perfectly meditated on it and sought it. It says that he grew in godliness. He meditated on the word of God. He focused on it, truly, truly. And he was the only one who truly obeyed it and benefited others by this obedience and glorified God by it. Jesus stands alone, not only as the lawgiver, but as the pure and and holy expression of the law of God rightly lived out. So when we read Jesus and his actions in the New Testament and in the Gospels, we're not supposed to have a paradigm that he is doing something, anything other than perfectly fulfilling the law of God. He was without blemish in regards to the law. And he was the only spotless lamb. We know this because Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. If he fulfilled it, then he is always in line with it. So it's not that Jesus came and did away with the law that the Pharisees truly obeyed, but rather he came to the earth at a time when God's holy law was being diluted by human commandments. And Jesus, as the good shepherd who studied the law, he taught it in its true form. So, as we come before the text, let's see what happens when the law of God is added to by the Pharisees. And let's hate that in our hearts. And let's also see what happens when it is not changed, but it is simply obeyed by Jesus. And cherish that in our hearts and seek to emulate it, what he did in our actions. The Pharisees, we're going to be walking through the text now, the Pharisees had many laws about fasting. They believed that in order to show devotion to God, that one should fast three times a week, from sun up to sundown. Now, this law that they had was found nowhere in the Old Testament. It was found nowhere. Fasting, according to God, is good. It is good when it is fitting for the time that you are in. It is fitting to understand God's will in a particular decision. And it's good to wrestle to use that as we wrestle with God so that he might answer a particular prayer that we have. And I'm excited that that's what we're going to be doing because it's perfectly reasonable for us to fast when the time is fitting. But what the Pharisees had done is they had overlaid the thought that you should always, every week, fast three times a day. And if you're not doing that, then you're not godly. But it's not the commandment to be done on a regular basis. It's not supposed to be done on a regular basis without the actual objective in view. They thought that they could really draw people closer to God. If they made others fast on a, regularly, on a regular basis and illegally bind them to it. So according to the Pharisees, you are sinning if you didn't do it three times a week. But they say in verse 18 of our text that Jesus' disciples did not fast. They questioned Jesus and he corrects them because it was not fit, a fitting time for them to fast. It wasn't fitting because Jesus was finally here. The Messiah after all the long wait was finally here, why would it be fitting for them to fast at that time? Keep in mind that this is coming off the heels of just what we went through last week, which ended, that passage that we ended with was Jesus feasting with sinners, and they had problems with that. But it's altogether appropriate for Jesus to do this because Jesus is the king, and when the king is here, you celebrate. If we were to have the president over, would we not use all of our resources to honor him? It's a time for celebration. If your friend is getting married, would you not celebrate with them at that time? Wouldn't it be strange, and would it be insulting? to be fasting at the time of your friend's wedding. It's not fitting. Jesus is obeying the law, which called for feasts, because it's not just that the law calls for fasts, it also calls for feasts at times. And the Pharisees did not discern that Jesus was, was the Messiah, and here's why. Because they saw him contradicting their own personal laws as being lawless. But in fact, it was only contradicting their laws and not contradicting the law of God. He continues to educate them by comparing their laws on fasting as being unfitting, as mending as unfitting as mending old and weak fabrics with new fabrics. It just doesn't work together. When you do that, then they tear and they make things worse. And he compares their laws to putting Old and new wine, old wine in new wine, new wine and old wineskins, and when that happens, then it ferments, and then the old wineskins burst, and it ruins the wine and the wineskins. Their laws were unhelpful and unfitting for the time, and one of the things that I want to point out is that we can all laugh at the Pharisees. We can all say, "What are they doing?" adding these laws. It seems so ridiculous. But it actually makes sense, unfortunately, when we start to think about it. Let's not make a straw man of the Pharisees as if they had no idea what they were doing. Let's check and see if we have that same heart. We could say that it is good to fast. When then, after that, after we understand it's a good thing to fast, then comes the thought that since it is good... We should make a routine of it. We should be doing it on a regular basis. Then comes the thought that if we don't do it, if we don't do this good thing for a time, if we miss it, if we don't abide by our routine, then we're sinning because we're not doing this good thing that we should be doing. But realize that this tendency of ours is a slippery slope and it slides into a form of legalism. At the point where we say, I didn't fast like I said I would. I therefore sinned. At the moment we say that, we are falling into the same pharisaical trap. It's a trap because you sinned against your own law. You didn't sin against God's law in that scenario. See how slippery this actually is and how prevalent this could be. This is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago with the Pharisees and it's gone now in the church. It's here. We are tempted to do this. How many of you feel that you have sinned if you do not do your Bible reading daily? Where does God command you that you have to have your Bible study every single day? It doesn't. Look in the law. It doesn't say, read the Bible every single day. In making commandments for ourselves, we heap fleshly guilt on ourselves because we are not obeying God's commands, but our own commandments that we think are going to help us more than God's. And in doing so, we reap carnal guilt rather than godly guilt from our carnal laws that we thought would be helpful to ourselves or to others. We thought that we were wise enough to help God and give ourselves and others the commandments when we can't even obey the commandments that God does give us. Now, I want to clarify, I think it's extremely good and beneficial to have a Bible study. And it's good to fast. And you might even be doing it every single day. At least the the Bible study, not the fasting. But, (laughs) But it is evil to command in certain times and seasons when God has not. It's evil to say that you must do this at all times, to elevate your commandments for yourselves up to the law of God. That's the distinction. That's the difference here, is have a Bible study, but don't fret over it as if you sinned when you don't. You didn't sin, but maybe according to someone else, someone who has Bible studies every single day, and wonderfully, they may look down at you. They may think that you're sinning. But trust me, you are not. That's not how we qualify sin. It's from God, and not from us. So God gave you no such command. But we may ask, so maybe we can get on board with that. Yeah, I don't want to add to the law of God. But then there's this very practical situation that we find ourselves in, in a practical concern. It says, how will I ever do it? How will I ever do the things that I'm supposed to do if I don't make my own laws for myself? If I don't do it as often as I said that I should, if I don't make those practical laws. And we're going to answer that question later. That's the core of the text here is going to answer that. The end of the passage deals with that question exactly. And Jesus has the answer to that question that concerns us. The Pharisees continued in misunderstanding God's law and flawed law-giving when they accused the disciples in the next section of the text. They accused the disciples of disobeying the law of God when they plucked and ate the grain from the field on the Sabbath. There was no law against doing this. There was no law against eating from a field on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees had created far far stricter laws for the Sabbath obedience than God had ever given or instituted. They did this to keep themselves and others more pure. In verse 18, the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing that which is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you, never read? Have you never read the law of God, what David did, when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave to those who were with him. He is not saying in that text that David truly did something wrong or unlawful at that time, but rather that he did what was unlawful in the eyes of the Pharisees' skewed interpretation of that law. But he, in fact, did what was right in the eyes of God. The Pharisees knew that David had done nothing wrong in eating that bread on that day because the men would have starved otherwise. They knew that he had done nothing wrong, but they were blind to the fact that the disciples had done nothing wrong when they had picked the grain and eaten it on the Sabbath. Jesus closes this by saying, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus shows that the Pharisees totally missed the point of the law. The Sabbath was for man. So should a man be restricted from eating on the Sabbath? That's precisely what their laws had forced them into was restricting eating on the Sabbath, which is unfitting. The next section is closely linked, beginning with chapter 3. It's closely linked to this one and it sheds light on the core of the issue. They bring a man with a withered hand to Jesus so that they can catch him healing on the Sabbath, and in doing so, disobeying their own personal laws. Think of the sad situation that we are in right now. Think of the sad situations that the Pharisees are showing us. The religious people here believe that it is evil in the eyes of God for a man to be healed on the Sabbath. But it says in Deuteronomy 5.15 that you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Sadly, the precise day that they were commanded by God to remember him restoring them. They found themselves in a situation where they didn't want a man with a withered hand to be restored himself. How could he get it so switched up? How could they do that? The Pharisees weren't stupid. They actually spent far more time devoting themselves to the word of God. And they were far knowledgeable in many ways than we are. But they lacked one important understanding of the law which is the true aim of the law, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. For on these two commandments depend the law on the prophets. So what that means is that all of the the law and the prophets is resembled in loving your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to understand what the law looks like, then you look look at at loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you want to understand practically what loving your neighbor as yourself looks like, you look at the law of God. You look at the Old Testament. But the Pharisees didn't see that. They were blind to it. And being blind, they added the laws as they saw fit, straying and further and further from the center of the law. And that is how they got to that point. That's how you can find yourself in a situation like that. If over time, you're adding to the law of God, then you find yourself eventually not comprehending what is good. You find yourself in conflict with other texts in the scripture. It's because you don't understand the core. Because we don't understand the core. And because we don't understand it, we have started to supplement it, to add to the law of God, because we don't get it. So we add to it so it can make sense to us. He accuses them of not understanding the law by asking, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? With the implication, of course, being, of course, that it's lawful to save a life. And they were silent at this. They could not respond that it was lawful to love your neighbor and heal on the Sabbath because they had invented those laws that contradicted that. Their own laws did and always will strain the gnat and swallow the camel. Man-made laws will always tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, but neglect the weightier matters of the law, which is justice and mercy and faith. Do not think that by adding to the commands of God, you will ever be able to help yourself and keep yourself from sinning. It won't help you it will merely, as we see with the Pharisees, add to your sinfulness. Nor will it propel you into greater righteousness. If you're an alcoholic, you may need to stop drinking for a while as you repent. But it is not a commandment from God that you don't drink. And so you must not treat it as such. If celebrations are tempting for you, to act sensuously when you get around the crowd and then you feel like you must act sensuously at that time. You may need to stop going for a while as is fitting. But God has not commanded you to cease going permanently. If you are tempted to watch the TV or the computer for pornography or any general worldly lust, you can stop watching. You can stop engaging in that for a while, but do not conflate your personal temporary situation with the commandment of God, that it would be sinful for you to engage in that. It would be sinful for you to watch TV or be on the computer. And that's because there's nothing sinful in it of themselves. These objects that we deal with are not sinful in it of themselves. One thing as a side note, make sure, this is probably the most important thing, make sure that you don't not only have these laws for yourselves, but certainly never apply these laws to someone else. Never look down on someone who is doing something that maybe you feel like you can't personally do at this time. Don't look down on them, because you will be weakening them. You will be oppressing them. This is what God hates. You'll be redirecting their eyes from the law of God to your own personal laws. And that is the sort of unjust judgment that God hates the most. It's disgusting in his eyes, and that's majority of the New Testament is dealing with that. I promise you that these man-made laws will not work And when all is said and done, actually, you will be far worse off than before, just like the Pharisees were. Maybe you won't be drinking and smoking. Maybe you're trying to keep yourself from these things, a particular sin. And maybe you won't be doing that sin. Maybe you won't. But you will certainly be addicted to something else because you're not being guided by God. You're being guided by yourself. We may, the example of the person who is maybe feels sensuous when they get around a bunch of a crowd or something like that, or in a party or something like that. For the example of that person, we may keep from partying, but we will not be able to love the world. We will not be able to love our neighbor if we do that, if we keep ourselves from others. That's unfortunately the main thing. We want to keep ourselves staying from the world. But we're never meant to completely leave it. We need to, if we oftentimes, what we're going to do, and I fall victim to this myself, I say, I don't want to be distracted by anything else that isn't godly. So I have a cocoon in my house and I stay there. But what good is that going to do if I then become holy and then I in no way have the ability to be able to share that with others, which is what God commands me to do. See, when we create these laws for ourselves, it doesn't help. And in fact, it harms us. We may be able to keep ourselves from pardoning, but we will not be able to love our neighbor. And why not? Because it's not what goes in a man that defiles him. This is the scriptures. It's not what goes in a man that defiles him. But it's what comes out of his heart that defiles him, according to Jesus. The issue with any of our sins is not the object of our sins. It's us. It's our heart. And when you address the object, like the TV or the alcohol, or being around a large group, you are not addressing the real problem. And when you condemn things that God doesn't condemn, then you find yourself in the situation of the Pharisees, spending all your time doing the wrong thing. You spend all your time not doing the wrong thing, but in doing so, you neglect doing the right thing. You're robbing yourself of obedience to God if you set boundaries in your life that God never made. Now remember the question that we put a pin in earlier. Well, how will I ever obey God if I don't set up these laws for myself? If I don't put extra boundaries up? And let's take that question a step deeper. How will I increase my walk with God if I don't do this? How will I ever, if I leave it up to myself, that I'm not going to be engaging in holy practices? How will I ever increase my walk if I don't create these laws for myself? Set sinfulness aside for a second. How can I even know him more? Jesus draws our attention to the answer here in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. It was the hardness of their heart that put them in a situation where they didn't want healing on the Sabbath. By the hardness of their heart, they couldn't understand the law of God. The hardness of their heart kept them from obedience and kept them from nearness to God. They didn't understand it. Not because they hadn't read the passages, but they didn't understand it because they didn't want him. If they had had a soft heart towards God, they would have sought him and dwelled with him and known him and everything that he desires. But hardness of the heart makes people foolish. Stony hearts are unable to recognize the law of God, so they are blinded. All throughout the scriptures we see this. We see this theme, that the hardness of the heart leads to confusion over God and his ways. In Mark six fifty one through 52, it says that they did not understand the loaves, which was one of his miracles, but their hearts were hardened. So he's connecting, not understanding, with hearts being hardened. And in Ephesians 4, 18, it says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. The ignorance that is in them is due to their hardness of heart. If they had had a soft heart, they would have understood God. And they would not have ever felt the need to add to his commandments. Because... All the reason that one could ever need to obey God is found in this, in loving him and wanting him and having a soft heart towards him. See, the core of the reason they were so confused about God and the main reason why we don't seek to obey God is because we haven't put, isn't because we haven't put enough guardrails up or establish enough uh, godly practices or establish enough practices through which we can draw near to God. The main reason why we don't do these things is because our heart is hard and we don't want him. If you're sinning against him, it's because you don't want him. God doesn't want your Bible studies if you don't want him. God doesn't want your tithes if you don't cherish him. He doesn't care if you defend the faith during your daily life, if you stand up for the name of Jesus. What good is it if you don't want him? If your heart is hard towards him? For instance, if you want... For instance, do you want your friends to caustically say whatever as they give you a gift? As they give you a present? Is that not worse? than giving you no present at all? Why would we think that God Almighty would be pleased with us if we have distaste for him when we do things in his name throughout the day? How much worse is that? Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of of God are a broken spirit, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God hates any and all attempts to do what God asks when we hate him ourselves. We have all felt this, unfortunately. We have. Are there not times when the word of God is not enough for us? When we're not pleased with it and enamored with it and when we don't seek it? Is there not a time when we don't crave to follow him and live in a pleasing way to him just so that he would be pleased? Is there not a time when we can't understand the commandments of God because they're too hard and we don't desire to obey even the hard commandments? He is not pleased with our hearts in that situation. I understand that he has pity on us He knows our state. He knows we're not perfect. But don't think it's okay. And don't think that you're in a safe place at that time. But what he does love, what he does love is a contrite heart. A soft heart. And he will not ever despise that heart. If you are on the heels of sin, or if you are cold towards him in your heart, Softening your heart is the priority at that point. You need to put everything else away at that moment and just focus on your heart and fix that first. It's so important that if you are cold towards God, at any time, doing anything else is completely worthless. What good is it if you feel coldness in your heart But then you put it on the table, put it it to the side, and focus on doing your other godly duties. It won't be fruitful, it won't be helpful, and it's not what is pleasing to God. You will not improve, nor will you even see God as long as you are hardened. It won't get fixed until your heart is fixed. Everything else is downstream from your heart following his commandments and seeing him and knowing him and understanding him is downstream from your heart being fixed make it everything to fix your heart on God prioritize that do not let go until your heart is devoted to him don't let go go before him and say I will not take another step I will not take another step forward until that step is with you And do not leave that time of wrestling with him until he has wrought a changed heart in you. This is especially important for those who are not necessarily struggling with these major sins. This is extremely important, as we can see in the Pharisees, not necessarily just for the adulterers or those who are struggling with major, major gross-looking sins. This is especially important for those who don't struggle with those things. If the person who has things calm in their life but has slight coldness to him, if they don't fix that heart, they will find themselves in a relation in a situation where they need to coast, where it's okay to coast, because everything around me is working fine in my life. Why would I need to fix this? Everything's working okay. But what good is that life if you are kept from sin? It is a wonderful thing to be kept from sin, to not have sin and guilt on you. But what good is that if you don't have God? What good is that if you can't even enjoy that with your Lord? What good is it to not stumble into sin and be free from it if you are alone in your victory? We need to get our priorities straight. He cares about the heart first, so always fix the heart first. And this is precisely a commandment from God. Keep your heart with all, uh, this is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And he says in James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Are you double-minded? Don't make a plan for how to fix your double-mindedness through various spiritual practices. Simply draw near to God. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. He will purify and cleanse your heart. And afterwards, then afterwards is where the fun begins. That's when you can enjoy being equipped by him. That's when you can live out the law of God. And because at that that time, your heart will be fixed, so you will understand it. You'll know what to do. Everything makes more sense when your heart is fixed on him. Then you can enjoy the feasts. Then you can enjoy the fasts. Then you can draw near to him and obey him well. But first, fix your heart, and don't ever let go until it's done. So watch your heart. Do not let it run wild or expect it to fall in line by just engaging in spiritual practices. But bring it to God when it's off, and don't let go until it's good as new. Then with a heart that sees and understands God, go and obey him and love every second of it. If you fight with your spouse or your friend and you truly, truly reconcile in your heart, not just by letting go of the arms and agreeing not to harm each other anymore, but if you truly have a reconciled heart, is that not sweeter than how it was before? Is that not better when everyone is on the same page? At that moment, the great things and even the little things are wonderful. Why would we not do this in our relationship with Christ too? So bring your hearts before him so that he can mend it and draw you closer together. And thank you for your patience. In closing, now some of you may respond, I have tried. I've really tried to mend my heart and to draw it near to God but it just hasn't worked. I still remain hard, and I don't have the energy or the ability to truly wrestle with him anymore. I don't have the strength to do this. To that, I would remind you of this, that that is precisely what God came to do. That's precisely what Jesus came to fix. You striving is not you fixing your own heart. What you're doing is you're coming to him and telling, fix my heart, because I can't do it myself. Jesus came to uh, fix your heart, and here's how he did it. He fulfilled the law for us. And he, and that includes seeking after God. Part of the law is seeking after him, and that's precisely what Jesus did on our behalf. And by faith, that's applied to you. By faith, God sees you as a God seeker. By faith, He sees you as a man or a woman who has wrestled with God. Are you weak or unable to seek Him with all of your heart? That's okay. Christ did it for you. So don't, in that case, seek as someone who is unsure if they have the strength to do so. Do it confidently. Trusting that God will cleanse your hearts, not on the basis of your own strength, but on the basis of the merits of Jesus Christ. He says in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart. This is a promise that he will give you a new heart. So pursue the heart, pursue the new heart, not being unsure, but knowing that it has been given to you in part now and it is promised to you in full. Let's all stand. And let's...